Our second reading this morning comes from the book of Acts. We meet Paul and his companions on their second missionary journey, second of three. Some scholars who have gone back and tried to trace all the steps that Paul took in his missionary journeys have calculated that he must have gone around 10,000 miles. 10,000 miles, which is especially impressive considering the state of roads and the means of transportation in the first century. But perhaps in that fact is, is a lesson that the message Paul carried was one he felt was worth traveling that far. So friends, let us listen once again for God's word, hearing these verses beginning with the ninth verse of the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went to Neapolis, and from there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer, and we sat down there and began to speak to the women who had gathered And one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's sermon is titled, The River. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, move through us now, much like a river cuts through the land. Fill us, O God, with your living water, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I once read one of the great preaching teachers of the 20th century as he described the landscape that preachers look out upon any time they sit down to write a sermon. It's a landscape that he described as being like a bog, bog with a B. I have an accent, I'm told, a swamp. He said the preacher, he or she, they they sit there at the beginning of a sermon and they look out on the text and they see all of these different ideas and images and generalities that they can deal with. He said the great danger of that is the preacher who decides to wade into that swamp, who seeks to address and touch on every one of those ideas, every image, every, every point that crosses their mind. He said that's dangerous because when you wade into the swamp of ideas like that, you risk boredom. He said the greatest sin of Christian preaching is boredom. Because boredom 
is as if like death. The boring sermon ceases to do what sermons should do, which is feed and give life. They just bore people to death. His anecdote for this was something that has stuck with me. He said you should look out on that swamp and pick something. Pick one thing and place boundaries around that one thing. He said when you place boundaries around that water that fills that whole swamp, you create something new. You create something powerful. You create a river. Suddenly, all of that water is being forced through that one idea, that one image, and in that there is power. In that, he says, it sets the preacher free. I was thinking about that this week for two reasons. The first is that I'm going to attempt to be concise and focused with my words today, both because I want you all to beat the Baptist to brunch for one time a year at least, but also because I have a flight to catch. But there is a second reason, and the second reason is this. Out of all the things in this passage, and there are so many things that we can sit and visit with, right? The fact that it is a dream God speaks through. And not only one that God speaks through, but one that this group of people listen to. They follow a dream to a completely foreign place, not knowing what they will find there. It's also interesting in this, isn't it, that it's a dream of a single man calling this group to Macedonia, and yet when they get there, they find a group of women. There are lessons in this passage for the importance of women and the leadership of the church, dating all the way back to the very beginning. But out of all those things, there is one thing that emerges above the others for me. And it is that image of a river. Right at the heart of this story, running through the heart of this story, is a river. It is by a river that Paul encounters and teaches this group. And it is from the banks of that river that lives are forever changed. Where I grew up is not in the country. I was in a suburb, but in Ohio, the suburbs have pretty big lots around them. And so our home, it had this thin strip of woods behind it. And right down the center of those woods was a creek. My friends and I, you can imagine growing up, particularly this time of year after school lit out, we spent a lot of time down in that creek, up and down There were places at this creek that you could jump over. It wasn't the biggest creek, but there were also spots where you had to be careful in choosing the stones that you would use to step across. As I think back on all of those hours that we spent in and around that creek, I've begun to realize that it was that place, that creek, where I first really began to understand the power of water. So my friends and I, we would often build out of the mud and the rocks and the creek this big dam across it. And we were pretty scientific about this. I mean, they were big, some of them. We'd create little conduits for the water to go through, make little waterfalls. Some of those wider spots, we would go to some of the construction sites in the neighborhood and we'd steal two-by-fours and we'd duct tape them together and we'd make bridges across. 
And then these big storms would come up in the summertime and the creek would would swell and I would go down the next day fully anticipating that what we had created was sturdy enough to withstand what had come. And almost every time what we found instead was that the dam was gone and there were only pieces of wood to be found downstream except there was this one time I remember one of our bridges it sort of wedged itself between trees just the right way and we ended up flooding like half of our neighborhood's backyards (laughs) but it's amazing the power of water in that one little creek I remember watching how the creek itself changed over time There would be an area where there was only a bluff and no no place to stand. And yet the next summer you would go back and a big sandbar had appeared. One month you might look at a portion of the creek that's almost straight. And then the next month you would start to notice the slightest turn forming. Some of the deep places in this creek all of a sudden would turn shallow. Some of the shallow places would suddenly be deep. Some of those places, too, over time that you could jump over, you could remember jumping over, were suddenly too wide to jump anymore. I learned about the power of water in that creek. You know, there's something equally powerful about the river in this passage. Paul and his companions, they encounter this group by the water's edge. And it's interesting because we have no idea what they talk about. We don't even know how long they talk. But what we do know from this story is at the end of that visit by the river, something profound has been unlocked in at least one of the people there, a woman named Lydia. She and her family that very day, they are baptized in that river. And they open their home to Paul and his traveling companions. The early church had depended on people opening their homes. It's the only way the church survived. This woman, a successful businesswoman, she reallocates her resources to support the work of this early church. It's interesting, too, Lydia appears two places in the New Testament, both here in chapter 16, once at the beginning in this story, and once again at the end where Paul and Silas, they have been arrested and imprisoned, and by all accounts, it is Lydia who comes to their rescue. Lydia, a life changed by the river. Whatever happened that day, it is clear it refocused her life. It is clear that the the bog, perhaps, that she had been wading through suddenly became more constrained. And as a result, a new river welled up in her heart. What do you think could accomplish that? I mean, what possibly could be powerful enough to reshape a life? It seems to me, perhaps, that it is the same answer now as it was all those years ago in Macedonia. It seems to me that we have already heard heard the answer in this service. We've heard it in the waters of a baptism here. Waters where where words are spoken about this little child. For her, Jesus was born into the world. For her, Jesus lived and ministered. For her, Jesus preached the good news of God the Father and of the coming kingdom. 
for that little child, before she knows any of it, Jesus healed the sick and raised the dead. For her, he suffered the loneliness of Gethsemane and the agony of the cross. For this little child, for this little child, Jesus was dead and buried and rose again. All of this for you, we said, though she knows nothing of it. And so in her baptism, in our baptisms, the word of God is fulfilled. That she loves, that we love, because God first loved us. We love because God first loved us. Like water in a backyard creek, I think it's the river of God's love that changes Lydia. And you know what? It is the river of that love that flows today. And it is the river of that love that could change us too. Friends, consider the bogs of your life. What idols have you been bowing down to? The idols of greed? The idols of of materialism, the idols of, of lust. What are those idols? What are those things that that have directed you that are not of God? Consider what that bog might look like then when it is put through the constraints that are actually the freedom of the gospel. The gospel that says one inexplicable and yet eternally irrevocable thing, that you are loved. What dams would the river break down in your life? What hard edges are there that that gospel truth could make smooth? What shallowness that you have been living by could it deepen? And what emptiness that you have been living with could it fill? Consider the current that that river must must generate when that bog is sent through those boundaries of the gospel. See that water going away and ask yourself, what hurts could you set in the current and let be washed downstream? Or perhaps alternatively, imagine yourself wading into that water. Consider the new places that that current might sweep you. There's a song that's been popping up in my Spotify an awful lot lately. It's a song called The River. It's by a group called The Show Ponies, if anyone wants to go find it. The chorus to that song, it says this. I'm going to wash myself out down by the river. I'm going to wash myself where the river flows. I'm going to tell my friends to all join in. going to tell them all to come. And the chorus ends by saying, What shall keep me from basking in the sun? Patience restore my way. Life begins today. I'm going to wash myself out down by the river. Life begins today. I don't know what they talked about all those years ago down by the river, but I do have a sense of, 
that in a very real way, life for Lydia, it began that day. Friends, may it begin for you and for all of us this day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.